You're just going to let it run? In case yeah. I say something hilarious? But I can tell you right now, I'm never going to use anything that I say for the cold opening. I never say anything funny enough for it or amusing enough. You could be very meta and use what you just said for the cold opening. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Beth. Kyle Perkins. KD. Jordan. I'm Nina. And before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners that you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And our topic for today is era-appropriate misogyny and racism in games. Can it be done respectfully? Can a person make a setting that reflects the real world and its cultures and diversities without making it offensive? No, I don't think you can. Okay, guys, what else you want to talk about? I know, I was like, oh man, our shortest, our shortest podcast. Hey guys, racism's bad. We're done. <laughs> Ugh. That's my second thought on it. <laughs> I think that anytime you want to try to even begin to broach this topic with a group of people, you really should know the players. Even more than just... Just our general top, our general advice of knowing your players and what they what they like, what they don't like. You're not always going to be playing with a tight group of friends who have known each other for a long time, possibly years, who you know whether or not something is going to find something is going to be offensive toward them. And I feel like that if you are thinking about bringing this in with a group that you don't know if it's going to upset anyone by no means should you ever do it stay away from that don't even touch it with a 10-foot pole if you think that the group that you're playing with is on board with it and is comfortable with it it's something you need to bring up and discuss with them before you even begin to do that campaign um, That's what I was going to say. I feel like you need to have specific player buy-in because no matter how well you know a certain group of people, you don't necessarily know all the little kind of, like, everybody's got little landmines, you know, in among, like, the topics that they think of and the way they think about the world. I really think you need to, like, specifically let people know. Mm-hmm. But what exactly are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, a setting that just has a culture of racism and sexism and whatever other kind of ism much like you know feudal europe or whatever or are we talking about particular plot hooks and you know story arcs that center around those things as main themes i think both um as what i want to kind of tackle with this if we have time i was mostly focusing on like the game setting itself includes racism sexism like the default setting for um call of cthulhu is set in the 1920s united states northeast there is definite misogyny and racism going on there Mm -hmm. um it is very prevalent in the writings of hp lovecraft himself because that's the time period that he was living and they didn't think it was wrong and we're projecting our current um, our current ideologies back on past eras. If we do, I'm I'm not saying it's wrong to 
to do this, but if we do project our current ideologies back to back then and have a group of people that all completely agree that um, all these things are bad, it can be a little bit... Um, it breaks the verisimilitude of the game that all of these people getting together, often very disparate people, getting together and agreeing that all of these things are bad. It's not really a, it's not really reflective of what people actually thought back then. Now there are there were groups who back then absolutely believed all this shit was wrong and it's great to play those people in those settings. But even if you are playing those people, I mean, especially if you are playing those people, they're going to encounter it. It's not just, well, I'm playing this person who breaks, who bucks the system. Therefore, I'm never going to have to encounter that as a character. Are you proposing a Call of Cthulhu suffragette campaign? Because I'm in. I'm so in. But also, I just... Yes, we're all going to play Quakers. And... Um, I just, when we bring up historical accuracy in games, all I can think about is um, arguably what's more important to you, historical accuracy or the comfort and fun of your friends and players. Because, like, I don't know if I would ever have fun playing a Call of Cthulhu game where I was playing a woman character and had to consistently interact with the fact that my agency as a person would be hindered by the fact that I'm playing a woman. So it, it just wouldn't be fun. Okay. Well, ran a, uh... All I was going to say is that in this group we wouldn't play that game. Well, I know, I'm just saying. Like, when I ran that historical Third Crusades game, I knew that the majority of my player base was going to be female or uh, non-binary, and so I chose to obviously make the setting a little more accessible to the player base that wanted to play, you know, those kind of characters, despite it being <clears throat> limited in a historical... Uh, context, and I think that that's fine. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that while having historical accuracy in some port, like parts, can be important, um, you also need to remember you're at a table playing a fucking game in the year of our Lord 2017, and that you need you want to have people to have fun first and foremost. Mm -hmm. All right, and that's why I think you have to buy in. I think it's a very um, like personal choice whether you would want to play a character in a historically accurate time period like that. Like, I feel like it would be really interesting. I know I can't really put myself in the position of somebody who faced, like, that much discrimination back in the day, but I feel like kind of exploring that would be interesting, and also exploring, like, what I was thinking about earlier is the fact that if you had a bunch of women playing a game with a lot of sexism, like, to really be historically accurate... There would have to be some women who bought into that, who had kind of, like, internalized that sexism. Because you still see it, like, today in, like, really religious groups. Like, I have all kinds of cousins, so many cousins, on um, <laughs> Facebook who are constantly posting things about how you need to be subservient to your husband and all that kind of crap. So, it's like, you know, definitely back then there would be people who, there would be women who had internalized that sexism, completely buy into it. Is their husband like lurking over their shoulder while this <laughs> it makes is you wonder, you know, like happening? I don't know. It's crazy in my experience with my religious relatives. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does it change anything if every player is under some kind of oppression due to the setting? Like 
your Crusades game. If some number of people are playing European women and some number of players are playing Moors or Jews or just peasants, every one of them is going to be fucked over routinely mm-hmm. throughout the course of role-playing. And really the kinds of characters in that setting that would have enough status privilege to be able to say and do whatever they wanted are pretty much going to be sedentary. They're going to be in their castles, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Those aren't really player-character kinds of roles. Um, So would that make it any different? I wonder if everyone's just dealing with the horrible backwardness of the world. I think you run into the issue of a female character just receiving twice as much because they're they're one playing a woman and then they're also playing a Moor or a Jew or something. Well, I think he was saying some of the people are women and some of the people are like Moors and Jews, like, you know, everybody's got some reason why they're being discriminated Mm -hmm. against. Yeah, but if in that scenario, like, all of the women are Caucasian aristocrats, that's the only situation in which they're only having that one aspect of the oppression. Mm-hmm. Even if they're they're a surf woman, they're they've got both the they've both got both gender and class working against them. And if they're like a um, an Eastern um, like a like a Serbian woman who is a surf, then you've got. Then you got race, class, and gender. Nationality. And nationality. Yeah. All working together. And I feel like if you try to break it down like that, you are end up going to end up with characters who are just... You're just piling this shit on them rather than just kind of balancing it out, which I think was the what you were saying, what you were trying for. Hmm. I also think that if you were going to do that, whoever was running the game would have to have, like, a really intense working knowledge of how various oppressions happened in that time period. So it's not, like, just suddenly becoming a thinly veiled, oh, this is what, like... So it doesn't become, like, thinly veiled modern-day sexism and racism. Because it it, it did work different back then. It, 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 like, misogyny evolves and and changes and stuff like that. So I just feel like it would be players playing stereotypes and the DM putting modern day racism in their faces. And it, was, it, it would just end up being really weird. And that was kind of rambly and weird. And I don't know if my thought came across. But I think, I think, I think so. Yeah. Cause like, you know, you have people that like on a courtesy glance, look through like a history book and are like, Oh, the, the law of first night. Well, uh, roll luck. Um, yeah. You know, let's see if the King shows up to have sex with your daughter for the first time. Like, yeah, damn, you know, like, yeah, people can look at that and I guess think that that's like a representation of the time period. And I'm sure maybe there are parts where that was accurate, but like, I don't know, I think that is sort of a like historically, I'm struggling for the right word here, but like misconception of oppression that people associate with that time period, you know? So like, then you have people like James factoring that in and like, that's just adding shit on to an already, like, tough-to-play character in a historically accurate game. And kind of also, to, like, take a tangential point off of here, where you said, like, thinly-veiled, like, modern racism. Like, I think that you have to be careful when you're playing that game that you're doing it because 
you're interested in the story points that can come from it and not because you're just really wanting to be racist and sexist and you're just, you're making a game that will allow you to do that. Which is what I'm pretty consistently worried about. Because you're right. Because you can tell when somebody is very gleefully participating in the racism and sexism rather than just using it as part of the story. So does that mean that we can't play um, historically accurate role-playing games with anything but a bunch of white men? Is... Does that put us back in the age-old Dungeons & Dragons group stereotype? I'm not sure how you got from what I said to you can only play with white men. Well, I'm not if, following the... If, well, like Clayton was saying, like it seems like the, the balance that we're kind of struggling with is the, the, the verisimilitude, to use that $5 word, versus the fun of the players, you know, in the setting. Like, if you're trying to play a in a setting that mirrors feudal Europe in some degree or another, there's a, a big system of, of cultural assumptions. There's, there's a whole paradigm underneath that kind of society where that wouldn't be the way things are if people thought differently. You know what I mean? Like right. the, the whole religious stuff, the class stuff, like all of that is built into it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any reason why such a innately oppressive system as that would ever appear without all of those other assumptions dragged along. So like in, you know, whatever Dungeons and Dragons setting where there just happens to be castles and, you know, knights and whatever, because that's the aesthetic of the place to try to create that kind of framework for your game and ignore all of the horrible shit that goes along with it, uh, I don't think it makes a lot of sense and would break down under scrutiny. So it, it seems like the the options left are play the horrible, brutal setting and get what you can out of it, or we're going to be playing stuff like JRPGs that are just like, you know, Final Fantasy stuff with without any, like, real thought put into why the world is the way it is and what the forces are and, you know, the, the zeitgeist that, that makes it that way. Mm-hmm. That really wasn't what I was trying to say. I don't mean that you shouldn't have, you know, like if you're going for historical accuracy, that you shouldn't have that, you know, all the horrible like thought patterns and things that go into it. But I'm just more talking about the metagame situation where you can tell if somebody is just kind of having way too much fun you know what I mean? Mm. Like calling people racial slurs or making gender-based slurs or something like that. Like I'm more talking about the metagame of like you have to be careful that you don't come across that you're just thinly veiling your own racism and sexism and inserting them into the game rather sure. than it being for historical accuracy. Yeah. I wonder to what degree it's even possible to put together a story that that deals with anything of substance that could not potentially be taken as offensive by somebody. To a large degree, offense is something that happens in the person who is being offended. Right. I mean, we've we've got such a a wide array of options to be offended <laughs> these well, days. I mean, it's kind of like I was saying, everybody's got landmines in their personality. And I, and that's why I think you have to have, like you have to carefully discuss it and have player buy-in before you even start. And then maybe even some sort of like short 
debriefing after every session where you're just like, if anybody has any problems, you know, to make sure people know that if they have a problem with a certain storyline or the way a certain character is being treated, Mm -hmm. they can bring it up. They don't just have to sit there and deal with it. It's not if you're going to present this, uh, this game so that nobody gets offensive, gets offended. It's presenting a game so that the people who are playing are not going to be offended. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to play to the specific audience that you've got. Um, I feel like to, you're right. You're never going to be able to do anything that nobody finds offensive in some way. There's no story that somebody can't find something to, uh, to be offended by, but it goes. It, it just goes back to knowing your players and knowing whether or not they are going to be offended by what you're doing. And where this is, this really is a private hobby. We have a small, a relatively small group of friends getting together and talking and playing this game. And it's kind of beyond the scope of sitting down and playing the game to worry about the people who are not at the table getting offended by what they're never going to hear about. Unless you're doing things like publishing things. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's that, a separate that, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> no, like it, it really is. The, the whole know your audience thing still holds true. Okay. Um, oh, this is, this, this is going to take a while. Um, so I think it's really interesting that we're talking about racism and sexism specifically because like, I understand it's a, I understand it's, a conversation about historical accuracy for right now, at least, which I have a lot of thoughts about that. Mostly why are we uh, considering historical um, accuracy versus inaccuracy in games that involved like magic and fictional settings, et cetera, et cetera. Like I understand the point about the Cthulhu thing, but like in Dungeons and Dragons, that's a fake world. Sorry. Like it's not earth. Um, or I, I'm actually not sure, but it's not like feudal Europe, even though it is based off of it. magic and, and goblins and, and whatnot. But I liked your point about can you really make a substantial game without facing things like this? Because I play a lot of characters that face oppressions and they're fake oppressions. Like I play a werewolf that a lot of people like like are afraid of because she is a werewolf. And I play in the Eclipse Ways game, I play Asher, who's a Futura, who has this whole stigma against her for being a Futura, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I find that those are just as substantial and just as like interesting paradigms to play with in these games, but are still not things that I personally have to face in real life. Like mm, I, in these games, really I, in the, in Abena, I played a, a, a character with a girlfriend and I didn't have to face homophobia because of that, even though in real life I do face that sometimes. And in, um, Eclipse phase, my character does get the social stigma because of, like, I guess it, it is a type of mental illness and, like, it is because of, like, the future of project, but it is not a type of um, oppression that I have to face in real life. So it gives the game that, like, deep and interesting storyline that does have to deal with oppressions of sorts, but it is not a thing that triggers me and it's not a thing, like, it, it still allows me to play this game for escapism. And but I what- think that's just as interesting but what about other era appropriate misogyny and racism such as our hunter game last year that took place in contemporary ohio where the group went and visited some some rural people who had ideals that were not in line with 
the ideals of the of the player characters from what um, from <clears throat> from our real real world uh, location. I think um, that's coming back to what Beth was saying that it, it really it's it's kind of just about what. What were you saying about how, like, you can tell when somebody wants to be racist and right, you can tell when yeah. somebody is, like, gleefully doing the sexist thing and it's not just a character? Right. And, like, Clayton doesn't do, like, you can tell right. when he does it. It's just the character. It's not him getting in his looks however well, I he hope, can. Yeah, I hope that. <laughs> I hope I don't, like, make people think that I actually have these thoughts. Yeah. And that's a big worry that I have as a game master whenever I do put in something like this into a game. Um... I try to be as obvious as I can that it's it's not me, but I know that there are some things that I am not aware of that I'm being racist. Since I have become an adult, there have been many phrases that I have come to learn are racist that I have stopped using. And I know that there are other phrases in my vocabulary that I use, and I hope to God I've never used any of them on this podcast, but I just don't know that they're offensive, that they're racist, that they're sexist. Yeah. And that is very era appropriate for a modern day game to have a character who just says something like this, and they don't know that they're being oppressive or um, slanderous or I can't think of the right term. Contributing to institutionalized racism and sexism. Yes. That phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Like a fucking superhero pose. (laughs) I'm a WGSS student. I think when we're talking about matters of, you know, sociology, basically, um, this isn't something that is so well defined that we can, you know, conclusively point to very much and say, this right here is sexist, this right here is racist, or whatever. I mean, there are some core cases that 99% of people would say that's fucking bigotry, but there's a bazillion fringe cases that are super based on context, on, you know, who the speaker is, who the listener is, and, you know, what the intentions are, and all these different things. It's not cut and dry. For instance, uh, Let's say that you want to make a make a character, make an NPC in your story that is like um, powerful barbarian queen or whatever, you know, badass lady with a sword. One person looks at that and thinks, oh, that's an empowering representation of women in a role playing game. Another person is going to look at that and say, oh, that's just a fighting fuck doll or whatever. Mm, um, mm-hmm. There's no right answer. There's no objective measure by which we can, you know, hold these things up, really. It's just a matter of the the drifting, squishy consensus of the population at any given moment. So, I don't know. I don't know why, but I really enjoy the phrase squishy consensus. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a bunch of white people sitting around the table talking about racism... I'm curious if anybody here would ever try to, you know, play a character that like faced, you know, some sort of racism that that you've never had to face and if you think it can ever be done. Well, I'm not white, I'm Irish. Oh, <laughs> oh there's a long tradition <laughs> of uh, Jesus. <laughs> of Irish people being just as oppressed as black people, right? Well, 150 yep. years ago they wouldn't have counted us as white. 
Jesus. <laughs> it's part um, of the point. It's a moving target. I think that it's hard to maybe do that one. I, because, like Nina was saying earlier, there's things you can do in role-playing games to facilitate oppression and, and cope with and deal with and maybe overcome that oppression. Um, but when you deal with, like, a white person playing a African-American character, and then, you know, the GM's like, okay, well, I guess we'll throw a racist character in there, and they're racist towards your character. Like, I gotta feel like there's a disconnect, because you're not, you don't know what it's like to have that happen to you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm gonna think, try to think of an example, maybe, that I've had of a character that's been like that. Um, but. I mean, the closest I've gotten was in your Alter World game, in which we did 100% throw a lot of historical accuracy in regards to this out the window, because, like, I, I played the first female imam, which, no, um, incorrect, but, um, uh, it wasn't from characters that the DM played, but it, it there was, it was based on um Crusader uh, Crusader the Third Crusade. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so good at this. The King's Crusade. <laughs> the King's Crusade, and there were characters that were Crusaders, and my character was an mom, and I had to interact with that. But uh, I think that's like the closest that I could get. To and even... even then, I I you know, and I can as a historian, I can speak to the fact that like around that time period, it was less about skin color and more about religious identity. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could have brown skin and, and be a Christian, and people weren't going to look down on you as much as if you were brown skin and, and, and you know, a Muslim. That's actually a... a so, that a was where cal- most of that was coming from. That actually calls back to the point that I made about, like, modern-day um, bigotry versus historical, historically accurate bigotry. Because, like you said, it wasn't so much a race thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, now, that's a very, like, for me to say that... Like definitively, I can't. Mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, you. It's like anything. You're gonna have outlying cases, and you're gonna have outliers to that sort of way of thinking. I mean, I could bring up, you know, the fact that like when the first crusade happened, you know, there was definitely Christians in Jerusalem, but you know, in that sort of bloodlust and sort of when you when you're sacking something, you know, that kind of goes out the window, even though you were coming over there to protect those people in the first place. So. Well, I'm, one thing that I don't think really gets play in most games that try to have some degree of historical accuracy is just how throughout human history, there has always been us versus them. There's always been, we are the civilized, everybody else is the barbarian. The barbarian being being rooted in a Greek term that just meant somebody who didn't speak Greek. And whenever you do go back and, like, if you do want to have some, any degree of historical accuracy, there is going to be that mentality of just, well, the people from this geographical area are inherently better because we whooped all your asses when in war. And now that gives us the right to take you as slaves because you are inferior to us. And I feel like that's not, that's an area that, that really happened, but is not really a part of the thought processes of most of the historical game settings. Mm-hmm. To like a civilized versus less right. civilized sort of divide. Yeah, and where this, where the definition of civilization is just my culture. Exactly. Everything right. else mm-hmm. is barbarous. Mm-hmm. 
I am curious if anyone here can think of an example of where they've played a character that was not their, I guess, race and had discrimination happen to the to the character and like did they feel like they could respond to that in a valid way or I've played characters of different ethnicities but I have never had a GM with the guts to even bring Throw that up at you. in in the setting and sometimes the setting it just wouldn't really apply but yeah that's that's usually one of those hot potatoes that nobody wants to deal with but I think it's really funny, like from a kind of bird's eye view ethical perspective, how wrapped up we are in these kinds of things. But if somebody just had a hobby of going out and chopping people's heads off and making necklaces out of their ears in a D and D game, people think that guy's kind of weird. But he'd still be... <laughs> man, you're playing a really quirky like, character, dude. <laughs> man, you're such a good tank. Like I'm glad you're here. I, I mean, I think that is because such... God, the tank. <laughs> Thank God for the tank. I think that is because like nobody no player is going to like go out and have to be afraid that somebody is going to like come and chop their ear off and wear it as a necklace like however some players are going out into the world and, and facing like real life oppressions that they kind of don't want to deal with in game so like more of a like that like that okay that could happen okay, is it, but it's, it's not it's, but it's highly <laughs> highly statistically improbable wow. but um <laughs> You know, I think I just <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you very very valid point. I know I was like trying to be fucking serious over here, but no, that's fine. Such a, such a great fucking tank. <laughs> as 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 that guy is like chopping your ear off, you're like, man, I bet he could like you're soak a couple bullets for character. me. <laughs> but um, Jesus. I don't know. I, oddly enough, I think the one time. I, I was playing a and, and oh god, this is gonna like blur some lines. Um, I was playing a half elf in a in a fantasy game um, that was like born to like a nomadic air quotes around that word nomadic human mother <laughs> and an elf from the city. Uh, so he was of a darker skin tone, and um, there was like we ran into like some mercenaries that were giving my character shit for a being a nerd, which he was. He was a wizard. Um, Two being like elvish, and then three not being like light skinned. That's a so, lot. Yeah, yeah, they were just lightly like, again, you know. But like, car- they they were, they were carbon. Or, wow, fuck, sorry. They were like cardboard cutout villains. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. nothing about these guys was redeemable at all, right? You know, they were the next fight. Um, was it? Was it like a sort of, I guess, racist moment? Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know if we can really include that in because one, the fantasy element, and then two, like, I think it's a lot different for you to, like, be playing a near contemporary game and be playing, like, a Latino character and have someone, like, assume a negative stereotype about you, you know, versus cut out villains. I actually have a really kind of, like, probably controversial opinion. If you make a completely evil character kind of racist and sexist i'm kind of fine with that gotta gotta beat him anyway right like he's <laughs> evil um eh. what about a player character eh, that's that's i don't i'm not fond of that however um, i meant like a villain like a big yeah. bad a big bad in the yeah, game yeah that is the easiest way to make a group of people hate, hate someone hate yeah, exactly someone, is mm-hmm. have them say the smallest like just under their breath <laughs> nice swing thing. For a woman. Right, and then right. everyone's like, oh, oh this guy! <laughs> Where's that guy that cuts off ears? Get over here! 
One thing that's always cracked me up along these lines is uh, in every edition of Dungeons & Dragons I can think of going back, um, the ranger has had the favorite enemy class ability mm-hmm. where you get, you've got a list of you know various sorts of opponents that you can focus on and you really hate them and you know everything about them and how to hunt them and kill them most effectively. And so let me ask you guys, at what point does favorite enemy become racism? Is it racism when your favorite enemy is orcs? It's, fair point. it's fantasy yeah. racism, yeah. Yeah, I kind of I think it's so. F- fantasy racism. Like I said, yeah, I'm I'm fine with like that's that's I I think it's an interesting way to like throw it into like I said before throw it into a game and like deal with interesting things like that and not have to be like yeah but fuck black people am I right? <laughs> Jesus, you can uh, <laughs> you can have favorite enemy drow elves, but you can't have favorite enemy black humans but favorite enemy elves is a different favorite enemy than drow elves but see i guess like <laughs> that's a fair point too like if someone came up to me and was like i'm playing a, a hunter mm-hmm. or ranger sorry in 3.5 and my favorite enemy is going to be an orc i'd be like okay my favorite enemy is going to be a drow elf okay my favorite enemy is black humans okay no, absolutely <laughs> Wait, not hang on. you have to be evil in order to take humans as a favorite enemy in third edition though but that's just True too. humans overall it's not just like they're like oh, what, no. like they're like white skinned humans are fine but like if anyone that's like dark like favorite enemy and i'm like no you can't do that sorry bud short of one exception drow are universally <laughs> evil so that's uh are they really? Cosmically sanctioned. Well, Are they really? It, it, it depends yeah. on the... This, it actually depends on the uh, the era in which the fiction is being written, because there for a yeah. while, like, it became the trope that every drow was a um, was a good-aligned drow fighting against the oppression of his evil people. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it so much. Orcs also. Mm-hmm. Evil. <clears throat> Period. They, they they only really have a chance of good if they're half orcs because they got some of that human blood in there. <laughs> that, that gives them a chance. Half a chance. <laughs> I think that also just speaks to how limiting morality systems, especially in like D&D are in general, which is a completely separate conversation half. So I'm not going to get into it. I think it's fairly closely aligned to what we're talking about here. But when, yeah, but when you have that fantasy racism, um, <laughs> Where is the line between, like, it's it's still just fantasy racism versus, you know what, I can tell that you are saying something about my my ethnic group here and the things that you are saying about these, this this group of elves that live out in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it, it's, you, you can tell. Like, it's a thing that, like, people can tell when you see somebody play a character. And then, like, if you... It, at, at that point, you gotta be like, sorry, dude, you can't do that. And that's someone you don't want to play role-playing games with. Oh, that's another thing. Like, just, guys, if there's somebody racist in a group, just kind of tell them, you know? Like, kind of just inform them, please. Or do, not, okay, not, like, overall racist, but if they're doing, like, a bad thing, and they might not know, tell them. Fun, that's real fun. Real fun conversation to have. Oh, yeah. It's always very easy to convince somebody that they're being racist. No, I know, I know. But, like, if you're playing with, like, like I feel like, it, it, like you said, if, if you had a word that was just part of your vernacular and you didn't know that it was, like, a slur or something, and yeah. one of us came up to you and we're like, I don't know if you should be using that word, I kind of think you'd take, like, either look it up or take our word for it and, like, take it into consideration, at least. Like, we're good people. You know me well. I would take your word for it until I could look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I really was a 
about to say just take my word for it, but I was like, that's not how any of us work, is it? <laughs> when you brought up the Hunter game, that was so, so long ago. <laughs> it was one year. Just over one year. I know, I know. I actually came up on the one year anniversary of like a Facebook post I made about like joining this group, and I was just like, oh, gross. Um, <laughs> anyway, when you brought up the NPCs that were like, and a questionable in their uh, ideology. I think that didn't bother me because it, one, didn't affect my character's ability to do things. Like, it made it kind of stressful to talk to them, and I had to, like, work through that. But, like, it didn't stop my character from being able to, like, play the game or do something. And also, it wasn't, like, consistently throughout the game. It was a facet of those NPCs. So, like, it wasn't a thing that I had to deal with at every turn. Mm-hmm. All right, player six, tagging in. It's your old buddy Kyle Perkins here to stop racism. Oh, um, thank God. Our <laughs> white hi, savior. We've been waiting so long. <laughs> so... I think it'd be good to, and maybe you've already talked about this and I've missed it, but since I'm showing up late, uh, talk about some strategies for handling it appropriately in your game. And I think that's a really good point, Nina, that even if you have racist depictions, it's still, in the meta of it, not going to be fun for anybody if that player is in-game and, from a meta standpoint, unable to do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a a drow who is up on the surface and everyone thinks drow are evil, but old, um, we'll call him Tizit here, uh, <laughs> is is trying their best to really, you know, fight the good fight, but everyone thinks they're an evil douchebag because drow are in this world. The player playing that character needs to be able to do things and needs to have no penalties at all to their ability to make roles and and act, even if the role-playing side of it has a lot of people, even the other player characters, being shitty to that person. Mm -hmm. What are some other strategies for making sure your group is comfortable, making sure that player can act, and other ways to handle this well from, like, a rules and kind of, like, table, uh, table atmosphere standpoint? I think that one thing that the game master needs to do is make sure that they're not everyone that they come across is like that. Mm -hmm. There is a safe place for that player to, or that character to go, and they don't have to worry about encountering all of this. That's what the game master needs to provide in order so that it doesn't come across that, oh, I'm just being this this asshole who really does think all of these things. Because that's what I tried to do in the Hunter game is mm-hmm. I made sure that it was this one place that you guys went to that was kind of shitty for certain characters with certain, um, certain worldviews and certain ways of being. That's what the game master can do. Um, I think another thing is that, like, there's that, like, there's, like, the guide NPC that, like, will tell you about the quest and stuff like that and, like, mates stick with the group for a while. I don't think that character should be racist or sexist or anything, because that's just going to be annoying. Yeah, I guess that's a really fair point. Imagine coming into a game and, like, the guide NPC, like, really friendly to everyone, but then just doesn't give you advice, or, like, not even, maybe not even that far, but, like, just... Like, 
kind of doesn't tell you the whole story or like kind of leaves you out of the loop on things because oh you know in this in this world he's really racist toward your yeah. kind of character and then that's when you have to step back and be like no like if you do have the character that that's the guy who was like that they just they're they're race they are racist against that one character make it a part of the story that that person can grow. Mm-hmm. Overcome. They can yeah. learn, oh, this person really isn't like all of these things that I think. You um, saved my kitten from a burning building. <laughs> Maybe not all drow are like that. Only most of them. That's what I was going to say, too, about like fellow players, is I feel like you should make it... like If you're going to start them out being racist towards a particular character, I think it's really good to have as part of the arc that that character they're being racist against sort of like... I mean, it's kind of racist in itself, but kind of proves themselves to them over time. You know what I mean? Like they, like it may not change their, that character's view towards everybody, but at least that particular character, they're like, oh, okay. You know, like this person has proven themselves. And instead of having that guide character not give opportunities to that player's character or basically stonewall them at every chance, there's a big difference between Okay, a player is playing a drow, and they're in a group of people who are racist against drow. And the game master, the drow wants to do something, anything, we'll say like a skill check. And the game master says, that's not allowed here. Everyone around you, they they tell you, you can't do that. So, nope, you can't do it, sorry. Bad way to handle it. (laughs) No. Now the drow wants to do something, the game master who is not shitty says, yeah, you can give me a roll. Like, you can do this. We're going to make sure that you try to do this. You've got, you know, these penalties against you. Um, but basically, you need to facilitate, even in a group that is not roleplay heavy. I know a lot of groups really don't roleplay. They, they do combat. They make skill checks to solve puzzles. But instead of stonewalling someone and saying, you're in a land that hates you, you can't do that. Nope. Let them roll. Let them do it. If they roll well enough... Even if you don't want to roleplay that guide character growing and becoming less racist through actual words, having a role succeed, a skill check succeeds, a charisma check succeeds, that could be a way to mechanically, you know, you're the game master, make a little note, okay, they succeeded once, they've succeeded twice. After five successes, now that guide character is less shitty to you. You've done it. Um, if you aren't comfortable roleplaying out Solving racism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You can at least have your game mechanics be perfectly fair and and kind of facilitate that that path through dice. It's not the best, but if your group doesn't roleplay, there's still ways to not be shitty. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. Hello, I'm here. (laughs) Nice to Um, see you all. uh, I think listen to like like just as a meta thing listen to the your players like i remember during the great gatsby one shot we ran we we you ran um jordan and um it was a team effort it certainly was <laughs> anyway during that the kyles were like they, they, they were playing d- dude characters they were playing versions of gatsby so they were saying like quips like the like 
twenties appropriate quips about like women and whatnot, and it like it was fun and games and whatnot. But like I remember at one point, me and Nina were just like, "Can you not do that for a little bit?" I don't remember which one we asked, but you you, you guys were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll dial it back for the game, like just as long as you're having fun." So like I think you can play those characters, but if somebody comes up to you and you're like, "You're making me really uncomfortable with how often you're doing that," then listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's not a bad idea if you're a game master or a player, for that matter. Hell, anybody. If you're going to be approaching any kind of topic that could be heavy or triggering or shitty, I I think a bad solution, the worst solution maybe, is to just barge ahead and do it anyway and be like, oh, what's that? You got offended? This is a game. Fuck you for getting offended. It's just a game. There's the worst solution. Also, I think a bad solution is to completely sugarcoat and fluff everything and not talk about these things at all whatsoever. I, I think that maybe the best way to approach, if you're a player or game master, would be to sit down beginning of a game, or if you have a session where you're going into a, a region um, where people are bigoted, um, regardless, sit down at the beginning and say, hey everybody, or if it's just one player that's going to be affected, pull them aside and be like, hey player, in this game or in this session, um, there's going to be some topics involving this or that. And, um, I want to do these topics, but I want to work with you to make sure that they are done right by you. How would you feel if your character was stopped at the town gate and not let in, um, because of the color of their skin? And if that person is just like, oh no, like I, I have had that exact thing happen to me and it, like I had a really bad experience with some guards Now, in this situation, you're playing with actual adventurers um, that have really stepped forward out of the woods to play your game. Do you want an actual analogy here? Like, oh, that that happened to me with police, or that happened to me when I tried to walk into a bar and a bouncer stopped me. I meant to say police, but I said guards and stuff. Oh! (laughs) You're right. Dealing with police, dealing with bouncers, um, dealing with uh, professors who are fucking shitheads. Um, you know, refuse to call you by your um, preferred name or pronoun. You know, your your trans professor is a piece of shit, and they're like, "Well, on the roster, uh, it says that you're this." Bad news bears. And so, in that situation, talk with that person, talk with the group, say, "This is what I want to do. This is what's going to happen. Don't give away your spoilers, but you know, this is what it's going to be." And if they're like not comfortable with that, okay, well, um, what if we kind of prologue it and we'll go ahead and start with your character doing this and doing that in a different setting somewhere else and then jump to the other players and they're in the town and the other players are thinking, hey, why isn't so-and-so here? And you could sit the other players down and be like, because the town guards are pieces of shit and didn't let them in. No fucking way. We gotta go get them. Let's go back (laughs) in the woods and get them. Like, you don't have to have that moment of um, conflict in the game, making your players uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you can still show the conflict if you just kind of work with your group or your player first. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think you, it would be just as likely to offend somebody by having uh, a disclaimer aside at the beginning of a session and basically be condescending and tokenizing, singling out a person because of subject matter in a game as it would to just present it as part of the game. Like, yeah, maybe some people would appreciate that. And then other ones might be like, what are you trying to say? You know, I mean, I don't know. That's why I feel like it should probably be a sit down with everybody, like not to pull a particular person aside, but just to say to everybody, you know, I'm going to tackle 
there, you know, there's going to be some racism or there's going to, or I'm thinking about having, you know, a sexual assault as the background of a character. Like, you know, does anybody have, you know, please let me know if anybody has trouble with that. I feel like that would probably be received better than like taking a particular person aside. That's possible. Aren't going to want to speak up. I, that's what I'm thinking. Is that they, well, but they could take secret ballots or something. You like, could do that. You could do that maybe during the character creation session. Be like, you know, during this game, there are going to be these things, and send me a text if you have a problem with it, or you know what I mean. Like you could. There are ways to make it so that, like, somebody doesn't feel like they're standing up in front of everybody and maybe revealing something about themselves that they don't want people to know. That's true. In, in my example, I was thinking that you were playing with people you knew well enough. That you knew, I know so-and-sos might have an issue with what's happening. Right. So I'm going to make them feel comfortable by pulling them aside and talking about it. Yeah, yeah but you don't group- necessarily know. You might really know everybody at a table, but there are things that you don't know about people you've known for True. years, you know? And that that is where it becomes very, very difficult. I don't know if a secret ballot or at character creation. I do like both of those ideas. Though in either case, if someone's not going to bring it up, I don't know. Right, and I mean, I'm just saying, you know, give somebody a chance, but, like, it's still up to the person if they want to bring it up. Guys, texting is, like, such a great way to, like, it's to sit down and just be like, if you have a problem with this texting, like, I love that response, because I'm not going to talk to somebody and say I have a problem. That's horrifying. <laughs> Texted many, many DMs. Um, nope, it's just DM'd many No, it's DMs. actually, you know, it's entirely just Kyle, but, um... <laughs> When things things go wrong, I've like texted him and been like, "Hey, quit! Don't do that! Don't like it." Mm-hmm. So, I also think the pulling aside, like it's it's not so. I was gonna bring up that it's we really have a special group here where we all know each other really well, um, or pretty well, and like we know who would need to be pulled aside. Like you 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 pulled me aside when we were doing Eclipse Face stuff to talk about, like, Asher's and, like, the stuff Futurists would have to face in this game, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, if Jordan was playing a future, you wouldn't have to do that to him. It's just, like, about knowing who... Like, it's it's, it's a good group we have that you would know who to do that for and who not. I, I think that's a solid strategy if you know your group well. Now I am thinking about if you don't know your group well and they are people you like and they're people you trust, but maybe they're only an RPG friend that you don't see on a regular mm-hmm. basis. That is where it becomes... A difficult thing, and that's why this is a difficult topic to even be podcasting about. It's nuanced with the capital N. I'm like, people are. People are people are simple. People are easy. (laughs) RPGs are hard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, what do you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice? Stop racism? (laughs) Stop that bullshit. Stop this racist bullshit. It's over now. We've ended racism, guys. Let's, let's hear it for everyone. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.